This program contains grown-up themes and language that the FCC doesn't like. Use your common sense. You're listening to Beautiful Red, a novel by M. Darusha Wayne. Find out more at darusha.ca slash beautifulred. The birds weren't that bad after all. They really did just chirp, and about three of them flapped benignly over Jack's bed until she hit the off button on the alarm. I can live with that, she said, getting out of bed and padding to the bathroom. She went through the usual morning paces and was out the door within fifteen minutes. She washed down half her breakfast bar with coffee as she headed for the train stop. The morning was pretty much the same as every other day, maybe a few more streeters than before. It seemed like there were more streeters every day. It was hard to tell if it just seemed that way. If there were any official stats on the number of street people, they were classified and unreported. Most people were thankful for what they had, and didn't like to think about the alternative. When Jack got into the office, Jill was finishing up the night shift report. Anything good for me? Jack asked. Eastern systems are foobar again, Jill said, getting his jacket on. Nothing for us, though. We've got the Eastern noobs locked out for now. Noobs, Jack said derisively. You'd think that by now they'd give half a day orientation at least. It would cost a fraction of what it costs to clean up the mess. That's corporate for you, Jill said. Don't know their ass from Tuesday. Later, dude. He left the security room and Jack settled into the chair. When she first started at Bellis, she was put off by the cubicle sharing system. Fresh out of training, she idealistically believed that companies would have realized that physical presence in an office was obsolete thinking. But now that she'd been working in the system for a while, she realized it wasn't solely a lack of understanding that made corporate require physical presence. It was a method of control. Sure, the network was able to ensure you were actually working when you were on the clock. No one had to physically see you to be sure of that. But making you wear the uniform, sit in the chair and just be there is a not-so-subtle way of letting you know who's in control. You really gave up a lot of freedom in exchange for employment, and all the historical trappings just helped break your spirit a little more. But really, what other option did you have? Become a streeter? No one chose that life, never mind what those conservative vidcasters said. Jack daydreamed about other options all the time, which is to say that she daydreamed about nothing. She wished things were different, but wishes don't make anything real so she tried to find satisfaction where she could. Work wasn't doing it for her these days, but between the boards and online friends, she had an okay social life. Maybe playing with the micro-recorders would keep her occupied for a while. Learning a new tool usually interested her for a few weeks or months. She might have to visit that street vendor more often. Jack spent the workday paging through the boards, reading Jill's report, and avoiding Tony. The first two items were more successful than the latter, as he accosted her not once but twice on the way to the washroom with boring anecdotes about some guy in Cuba with a collection of what she had to assume were clothes, though she'd never heard the word he used before. At least he was benign, unlike that guy in admin, Atomu, who was obsessed with practical jokes. Having an anti-grav chip stuck to the bottom of your chair was one thing, but he'd graduated to doing things like screwing with the access codes and turning entire logs into haiku. Jack hadn't seen any of his shenanigans firsthand, and she was thankful. She wasn't sure if he just hadn't made his way up to her floor or if he was scared of security. 
Privately, she found his handiwork pretty funny. She just knew that it would make her life momentarily miserable if it happened on her watch. Around mid-afternoon, as she was fighting off the end-of-the-day drowsiness, Jack noticed something odd. The eastern systems were being flaky, which meant that the problem had been going on for over 36 hours. That was a long time, even for a really green noob. Jack punched up the logs for the eastern system, entering her Class 5 admin token. She knew that action would be plagued for her counterpart in Eastern, and she expected an angry message any minute now, complaining about her interference. She just couldn't let it go by unchecked. It was the closest thing to something actually interesting that had happened in ages. As she suspected, her messenger started chirping a few seconds after she accessed the logs. She ignored the insistent sound resonating inside her eardrums and started reading. That's strange, she thought, looking at the logs. There's no record of anything wrong here. The logs look like any others. Hell, they look just like mine. The insistent sound of the messenger brought her back to reality, and she finally answered. Hey, Jack, the voice at the other end said, sounding surprisingly calm. Sorry, Mac, Jack said. I just couldn't stay out of it. I know it's none of my... McIntyre, the Eastern Class 5, cut her off. I'm not calling to bust your balls, he said. I'm hoping you've got a clue what the fuck this is all about. Damn, I don't know, Jack answered. This log looks fine. Are you sure the system's borked? Only completely, Mac answered, the frustration clear in his voice. Users can only log in half the time, then they get kicked off. But no one seems to be able to replicate the problem. It's totally random. Yesterday's crap didn't help, but this doesn't seem to be related to that. I don't know what this is. I haven't seen anything like this in years, Jack said. I know it's an old school idea, but have you thought about shutting it down and restarting the system? Jack heard a sharp intake of breath from the eastern guy. Christ, that's drastic, he paused. But I'm running out of options. I'll see if we can't straighten it out some other way. But if it comes to that, I'll let you know. Thanks, Mac, Jack said. I'll keep an eye on things from my end, if you don't mind. I'll take all the help I can get, he said, and ended the message. Jack sat back and watched the clean-looking eastern logs scroll. Mac never did figure it out, but by the time the middle shift was arriving, the eastern systems had gone back to normal. Jack had spent the remainder of the afternoon scrutinizing the logs from her systems, and for the eastern systems, and finally noticed something odd. A connection on the eastern side from an external node. Of course, access to the system was restricted to authenticated users, but if you could authenticate to the system, you could log in from anywhere. You wouldn't get credit for being at work, of course, but you could always work if you wanted to. Obviously, not many people took advantage of this feature, so it was unusual enough that Jack instinctively noticed, even though the system wouldn't flag this kind of connection. On a hunch, Jack ran the address through a secure reverse lookup feature she had installed in a fairly well-hidden directory. Bingo. The address resolved to Byside Solutions, Inc., a huge financial services corporation with branches in every major center. As far as Jack could figure, there was no good reason why someone would access the Bella system from within the Byside system, unless someone from Byside was trying to get access to private Bellis documents. Jack paged over to her office mail and rooted through her deleted messages, looking for the most recent What's New at Bellis Corporate propaganda piece. She scanned the last three weekly missives and read between the lines. It looked like it was possible that Bellis was planning on acquiring a new subsidiary. Jack wasn't involved in big finances, 
No one who wore a uniform could afford to be, but she knew enough to realize that inside poop would be pure platinum to an outfit like Byside. Espionage. What a cute, antiquated concept. But if she could foil an attempted acquisition of unauthorized information, she'd get bumped up to class 7 or 8 without breaking a sweat. But she had to tread carefully, since she could never survive a lawsuit from Byside. And that was if they didn't just sick their goons on her instead. Jack left coded notes about the situation for Jill in her report, and made a note for herself to message him privately the next day. She logged off the network, got her jacket, and headed out the door. She didn't have a fully formed plan about how to investigate this, but she hadn't felt disengaged in her work in years. Maybe ever. On her way home, she stopped off at a takeaway that made food the old-fashioned way, with multiple ingredients grown from seed rather than flavored nutrient blocks. She spent half a day's pay on a small box of steaming vegetables, part of her weekly indulgence. She carefully carried the box back to her apartment, keeping a keen eye on the streeters aroused by the aroma. She made it into her apartment unmolested, and shucked her uniform immediately. Changed into her own clothes, she popped a beer from the fridge, set her display to rest, and sat at the table with her stir-fry. She ate slowly, savoring the flavors. She knew that some people ate like this every day, and that knowledge, more than anything else, made her angry about the inequities in the world. But many people could never afford to eat this food even once, and Jack was aware of the realities of life enough to know this as well. Once she had finished every last morsel, and had her last sip of beer, she stuffed the box and the bottle into the recyclotron. She did nothing for a moment, enjoying the memory of her dinner, then restarted her display. She started up the program that controlled the micro-recorders, and spent the next three hours breaking it. Partway through her fourth hour of trying, she finally successfully reconfigured it the way she wanted, and involuntarily let out a small yelp of happiness over her success. She wanted to share her victory, as well as talk about what she had uncovered at work, so she pinged Adrian. Not available, came the response. Do you want to leave a message? Jack said no, and went to one of the micro-recorder boards instead. She paged through a few posts, but the board was publicly accessible, if hard to find, and presumably logged, so she left without posting anything. She silently cursed herself for being her usual antisocial self and never asking Jill for his private contact information. Logically, she knew that no one ever did that at work. Off-duty fraternization was frowned upon strongly enough that no one ever bothered. But now the social code of work had become inconvenient. She would have to contact Jill tomorrow at the office. She sat in her apartment, the night sky barely visible even though her window was still transparent, and cracked another beer. After drinking half of it, she opened her fridge in its freezer compartment. She found a small box labeled Petite Green Peas and opened it. Inside she fished out a cigarette from her small stash. Tobacco was illegal, of course, although no one ever got in trouble for simple possession anymore because possession didn't pose a problem to any of the firms. Even so, a record of criminal activity can be a real problem for someone in security, so Jack was slightly paranoid about her stash. She lit the contraband cigarette and spent the next ten minutes thoroughly enjoying her illicit habit. She didn't even smoke once a week, but sometimes it played a part in her weekend indulgences as an extra treat. The drug was an acceptable substitute for companionship, and it almost compensated for not being able to talk about her exploits. However, between the nicotine and the alcohol, she felt like she'd taken half a hit of sleeping juice. She fell into her bed, 
excited and intoxicated, and oddly, a little sad. She set the alarm for the middle of the night, then immediately fell asleep, and dreamed of infinitely scrolling log files. You've been listening to Beautiful Red by M. Darusha Wayne. Find out more at darusha.ca slash beautifulred. That's D-A-R-U-S-H-A dot C-A slash beautifulred. The theme music is low-level format by Bjorn Fogelberg. Learn more about Bjorn's music at fogelberg.com, and you can buy the album Karushi Porn at magnatune.com. If you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. Leave a comment on the website, send email to darusha at darusha.ca, or call the listener line at 206-339-8577. Thanks for listening.